Well, I kind of wanted to start this sermon by trying to claim some Hoosier credibility. Hoosier cred, as I want to call it. Uh, when I was seven or eight, uh, my brother and I received a gift from my uncle. And it was a $100 check. And it was $100 that was earmarked for us. This $100 was for a basketball hoop. And I still remember the day we went and bought the basketball hoop and we came home and they had to dig the hole and pour the cement and put the hoop into the ground. I was a young kid at this time. And what I remember most of all is that we lived in this alleyway in this neighborhood and this basketball hoop became the only hoop on the block. And the reason I know this is that pretty quickly neighborhood kids started showing up. And I mean all the neighborhood kids. My brother was five or six at the time, and so he'd have five or six-year-olds, and some 13 and 14-year-olds would show up. And you know that one about six-foot-tall, 16-year-old that everybody knows who could dunk? He showed up. And our, our house quickly became the place where the community gathered. And I've got to say, we were young. We were really young at this time. Uh, and what I remember about this group was that it was, it was not the pick of the litter kids. It was not the, the nice, well-dressed, uh, let's just say clean-mouthed people that you hope your kids hang out with. It was these kids who came to play basketball and probably to talk some trash to each other. And I'm telling you the story because one of my memories of this time is all of these riff-raff children playing basketball together and my mom would come out with a tray of lemonade with a glass for every kid. It didn't matter who they were or whether they were worthy or, it, it just didn't matter who they were. It was an act of hospitality. You are a young person, you've been playing basketball, you need lemonade, I don't need to know anything else. And so I'm reminded of this story on this Mother's Day that all the things that motherhood teaches us about life, about kindness and hospitality and love, about all the things that it takes to make our lives together possible. And I, it's hard not to think that this is such a great metaphor for God, that it's a wonder that we don't use it more often. And so today we're going to dive into the book of Acts a little bit more. And I've been telling you these last few weeks that the book of Acts is the book of the disciples allowing the good news of Jesus to expand their minds about the world, to grow in faith in new ways. So today we're going to hear the story of a woman whose work is valued by her community in such a way that they lift it up as exemplary, in a way that the work of women often isn't lifted up. And I think it is another example of this early community of Christians trying to change the way they see the world by changing the stories of the people they tell. So I invite you now to hear our reading from the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. And she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. And at that time she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. 
So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. And he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. And this became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. May God bless this reading. Well, Acts, as we've been talking about, tells the story of these disciples trying to figure out a new way to live, a new way to be community. They are trying, in a way, to create a new religion that really isn't a religion at all. It's really just a new way of being human in Christ. And one of the ways in which religious communities pass down their values is by lifting up people in their community, people who have been important. And so people who have a great legacy in a community get statues built to them. They get things named after them. They get pictures on the wall. These are ways of celebrating their legacy and saying that this person lived an exemplary life and we should lift it up as a life that we too would like to live. And often this is due to the impact they had on the world. And I think... It may be not without reason that the more public the, the expression of service, the more likely we are to put it up or to remember it. The more large in grandeur the acts of a person's life, the more likely we are to celebrate it. And so I think it's not surprising then that when we talk about the church or our country or our communities, it's almost always fathers, isn't it? The church fathers are celebrated. And there are some church mothers, but really it's the church fathers or the founding fathers that we celebrate. We remember their work. And that's partly because traditionally men's work has always been up front. It is always the work that is seen as powerful or earth-shaking or moving the world in some way. And... As a people, we often inadvertently hold up the masculine in a higher esteem than we do the feminine. I don't think we mean to, but I do think we do. And so we hear this story today about the disciples being called to live a little differently, to tell different stories. You see, in all of those places in which there in which men have been lauded, lifted up, and in the places they're still lauded and lifted up, there is other work being done. There is always other work being done. It's the behind-the-scenes work, the work of caring, of nurturing, and of upbringing. It is the work that, frankly, makes all other work possible. And traditionally, it's been known as women's work. I think that's pretty constricting, though. I come from a family in which my, my dad did all of the cooking and the shopping, and frankly, if you wanted the house cleaned, you, you asked my dad to do it. But I think it is true that that work has traditionally been called women's work, 
And it has not always been seen as as significant as men's work. It just isn't remembered in the same way or celebrated in the same way. This is what is so radical about the story of Tabitha. We miss it because we've read it a million times and we think, well, this is just a person. But this is the apostles establishing their own community with, with new leaders and new stories and new saints that they celebrate and new figures. They're trying to break with the sort of old legalistic, ritualistic religiosity that has taken over their communities and they're seeking new ways to be human. And as part of that, they are taking a person whose story traditionally would have been lost. It would not have been recorded. It was not valuable, earth-shaking work. And they are lifting her up. And, and they literally say it. This person is a disciple. A follower of Christ. A leader in our community. And by telling this story in this book, in this way, they are saying, this person lived an exemplary life. This is the life you should seek to live. We read that she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. And we don't know specifically what that work was. But we do know that she's surrounded in this place by widows, people who are traditionally vulnerable in this society, people who the scripture tells us to look out for. We know that she knit them tunics, that she showed them care, and so we can, and we can get from this that she nurtured this community. Maybe it was behind the scenes. Maybe it was in a way that not everybody noticed. It's another reason this story is so powerful. We know these church people, right? I was tempted to say we should stand up and recognize them, but I think that everybody would stand up. The people who work behind the scenes who work in the kitchen, who, who do the cleaning, who do the work of nurturing and caring for our community. And these people just aren't often celebrated, which leads us to inadvertently undervalue their work. And so these disciples, by lifting up, literally lifting up Tabitha's life, are changing the story about what is and isn't valued in their community. Those who do the work of nurturing, the work of motherhood, that is exemplary work. That is the work that all followers of Christ should emulate. They're changing through their practices and through their stories how they understand and know the world. And so we as a church, we can ask the same question. What work do we consider most important, essential? The kind of work that if we lost it, things wouldn't go on. But I think when we think about this, about what is lifted up in our communities and what is not, the biggest gap for us is how we think about God. I think I'm going to go on a limb here that everybody knows that God is Father. We've heard that one before. The metaphor for God as Father it is a metaphor for understanding God. And I say metaphor because we have to admit that when we speak of God, whatever words we use are never enough. That God is the infinite beyond our language. And so calling even God a parent is just grasping at something that cannot be understood. But we get in this rut where we, we turn back to the same word over and over again. Father God, over and over again. And I worry 
that, that restricts who God is. That it puts God in a box and makes us think of God in a narrower mode than we ought to think of God. So we, we imagine God as a mover, as a doer, as a builder. God is powerful, assertive, often mirroring the kind of people that we traditionally celebrate, this masculine form. But by only choosing this one way of thinking about God, we leave out all of the other work that makes creation possible that we don't lift up, but that we all know is important. For our God doesn't just build. Our God nurtures and cares for. God gathers and cares. You see, God does the traditionally masculine and the traditionally feminine work and everything in between and beyond. God is in and through all things. And so, you know, the Bible, it's true, the Bible uses masculine language for God. It's kind of a reflection of their time. But, you know, we shouldn't ignore the places where the Bible talks about God as mother and woman. In Genesis, we read a verse that we all know, but I think we just gloss over. Humankind was created in God's, as God's reflection. In the divine image, God created them. Female and male, God made them. If women are created in the image of God, then God is female. Or we can read in Hosea, this is my favorite, by the way. Like a bear robbed of her cubs. That's how the prophet talks about God, like a bear robbed of her cubs. Or I have a couple from Deuteronomy. Like the eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, God spreads wings to catch you and carries you on pinions. Or the second Deuteronomy, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Isaiah 42, for a long time I have held my peace and I have kept myself still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. Or Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And so I say it's not so much that God cannot be Father, but that if we restrict God to just Father, we're not allowing ourselves to imagine the fullness of God. And so we read about this Acts church that is breaking with its patterns of thinking and is trying to expand its understanding of who's in and who's out, of who God is. And so they are lifting up Tabitha as a way to challenge the ways in which the work of women goes unnoticed. They are trying to change their minds and their practices by lifting up this woman's story. It is a different kind of community. It is not like other communities. And so I think today, as I think many of us can, about the role that our mothers have played, or women in our lives who have been like mothers to us, when we have been in a bind, maybe even our own, like a, a bind that we brought on ourselves, you go to your mother. 
If I have lacked something, she has provided. If I was lost, she was there with advice and guidance. I have all these memories of the ways in which my mother provided for me and my brother in ways that were beyond just sustenance. She, uh, I remember the story that she, this, this, this is why I love the mother bear story. Because she entered my brother and I in a contest once when we were kids. We didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. My family went through some hard financial times. She entered us into this contest at a Dillard's, which is now a dated reference, uh, for hockey lessons. And one of us won and the other one didn't. And my mother, like a mother bear, walked into the office of the contest and demanded that they take both of us. And they did. When, when she would take us on our Sunday errands with her, you know, she would take us, and I, this is, I still have these fond memories, she would take us to Taco Bell. We didn't eat out at that time in our lives, and she made it a point that there was enough money that we could have Sunday lunch out with her. When she worked in downtown Phoenix, she took us to the second floor office where she worked, and we watched the Fiesta Bowl parade on New Year's Day. I could go on and on and on about the things that my mother did for me and my brother that were ways of nurturing and caring for us and adding life to our existence. And I tell these stories not just to lift up my mother, though I know that she'll be listening this week to the sermon, but to celebrate the work that goes unnoticed in our lives, the work of making a life, of nurturing, of looking out for, of guiding. And I tell these stories to say, God is like that. God is not just the all-powerful creator, stern judge, the proverbial father. But God is the one who nurtures, who cares for, who brings up. God is our mother as well. And I think we forget this because we only talk about God in one way. We forget the rest of the existence of God, of, of who God is for us. And so I challenge you this week, when you sit down to pray, I wonder if we can just shift our words just a little bit. For God is our Father. I don't want to dispute that. But this week also pray, God our Mother, the one who nurtures us, who cares for us, who accepts us, who is there with open arms when we've been places we shouldn't have been, who finds us on the path when we are lost, who sets tables for us. Can we pray, our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, for God is indeed our mother, the one who cares and nurtures and brings us up. Amen.